Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Welcome to Trending. Talk about things trending recently. There's a lot of conversation today surrounding, quote, non-consensual AI deepfakes. Consent seems to be everything when it comes to sexual ethics today, but what about when it's not even actually your body, but just your face, your likeness? Being put onto deep fakes, which can be generated via AI and video, we'll dive into that along with does fixing the commitment problem that causes porn really need to happen? And some people might say, hey, what commitment problem are you talking about? There's a commitment problem that occurs when you look at pornography. Lack of commitment and even interest in dating, marriage, and any long-term commitment and relationship. So how do you fix it? What do you do? We'll dive into that along with really uh, finding some skills if you're struggling and you want to get married. And we'll discuss one skill to make yourself marriage material. Also, what's the biggest problem getting in the way of you praying? We'll dive into that with some real solutions. So if you'd like to share a thought, a question, comment, especially on what's getting in the way of your prayer, we're happy to take it. Our toll-free line is 888-914-9149, and it's sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters Life Insurance. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. My guest today is Jim O'Day. He's the Executive Director of Integrity Restored, helping people who are Working through struggling with pornography addiction or looking at pornography from time to time, and you want to get rid of it. They have both a science-based and Catholic approach to working through pornography addiction, and you can find them online at integrityrestored.org. That's integrityrestored.org. Jim, welcome back to Trending. Tim Marie, great to be with you again. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I was thinking about... AI earlier today and the cross into pornography. And I've not looked a lot recently into this side of it, but it's frightening. And you and I were discussing how anyone's face, adult, child, spouse's face can be basically put onto any photo or video today using AI. And that person really becomes a victim of what used to be in a different way referred to as everything from revenge porn to even talking about quote sex tapes being put out there but you don't have to make it yourself someone can make it for you and it's kind of frightening because some of the major search engines like Bing, Google, and DuckDuckGo are being scrutinized for allowing non-consensual AI deepfakes as they're being referred to as being at the forefront of some of the basic search engine results today. Well and what's happening in the in the porn industry is that they've learned that that creates a lot of buzz and a lot of traffic uh, to their site. So they're happy to just keep reusing these. So Bing and Google and, and DuckDuckGo, all of them have 
uh, systems in place where if somebody complains and says, hey, that's a fake, they take it down immediately. But these porn sites just put another title on it and keep using it again. So it's almost showing up in perpetuity now uh, for these poor people. And the technology is so good, you really would be hard-pressed to say that is not that person. Right. And like you said, generally speaking, right now we're talking about celebrities. Mm -hmm. But the fact of the matter is, as AI becomes more and more accessible and free AI programming becomes more and more accessible, people are going to be doing it with girlfriends and wives and mm -hmm. exes and yes. cousins and children. It's out of control. It's a frightening. And I want in a couple of weeks, you'll be back and we're going to talk about the child side of how this is being used. It's frightening as a parent, just the idea of your kid's images being taken in that way. I want to touch on that on a different day. The side I want to look at today is you mentioned, and I think this is really significant, how someone could use their girlfriend or their spouse's image. We know that pornography is a real intimacy killer, but people also turn toward pornography when other things have been impacting intimacy negatively. And I can really see people justifying, just like they do the use of pornography, the use of taking their own spouse's image and slapping it onto some pornography with AI and someone saying, well, it's not really cheating or it's not really immoral. They're <laughs> my spouse. Uh, uh, absolutely. Um, you know, in a lot of the work here at Integrity Restored, uh, we, we talk to, we'll just take men, for example, that um, I, we're getting them clean from pornography. They're doing great. They're sober. They haven't, but they're still struggling with masturbation. But now I don't think about anybody other than my wife. Well, that's still a problem, dude. And just because it's your wife doesn't mean that you can use her sexually either. You know, this AI, um, while the technology is very cool, and I'm sure it will do really, really good things, like any technology, there's a certain percentage of people who use it that are going to use it for evil. Mm -hmm. And when you're combining AI with pornography, it is pure evil. One of it's, the big it's, Go ahead. Pornography is fake to begin with, okay? Let me just say that. It's people acting. These acts that they're doing are generally not pleasurable. They're certainly not what God intended. But now you're talking about bringing the unrealistic sexual expectations to the next level when you're using AI-generated porn. It's so sad because we have been just taken advantage of as a culture, as people today, that these large pornographic tech companies are literally preying on human psychology that does turn toward what is novel and different. And as you say, the people who are acting in those videos, whether it's the person you actually see their face or it's a, someone who we're throwing deep fake faces onto in a non-consensual way, like either way, as you say, those things that are occurring in those videos 
are not pleasurable to those people. And that's what's interesting when you read the testimonies of people who leave the pornography industry, how desperate they were for money, how exploited they were, uh, the amount of booze and drugs they were on to be exploited in such a way, the things that they're forced to wear and do. It is so horrific. And yet we don't realize not only is the user being taken advantage of, but also the person who's helping to produce and act in it as well. I always tell people we need to be praying for them because these people are really being uh, treated as modern day slaves. And whether that's alcohol or drugs, combination of the both, uh, financial uh, exploitation, all these people are being exploited. And at some point, even the ones who say today, this is my choice, I love it, at some point, they have a differing view. Um, there's m- many, many things medically that happen to them that are just horrific. We won't go into it on air. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a real problem. And AI is only going to help raise that level of exploitation. Mm-hmm. I wanted to share something with your listeners that is happening right now. Right now with AI. You get a phone call, Timory, from your mom and she's in a panic. And I'm on the side of the road, Timory, and you have to help me. And the man is here with the truck, but I need $300. You say, Mom, why aren't you calling from my phone? And she says, well, Timory, my phone is dead. Please, let me just give you this number. Just send the money right now. It's AI-generated, deep fake audio. They can do that with your voice now. All over the country right now. The FBI is doing everything they can to try and lock this down, but it's impossible. So what you have to do... If you get a phone call like that from a family member that you don't know, where's this call coming from? It's not their number. Mm -hmm. Text them. Call them back on their phone number, and you're going to find out it's false. It's a robot AI-generated call. Wow. I had not heard about this. Yeah, it's wild. Look it up. It's it's happening all over the country. It's crazy. And we're having conversations you wouldn't even imagine having five, ten years away, even just a couple years ago, with everything from the onset of chat GPT and the technological capabilities today, what we are seeing people use AI for on one side is incredible efficiency in the workplace, especially at a time when we see many companies scaling down the number of people they have, either out of practicality because of the economy or because people just aren't working. Not as many people are working. But when you come to situations like this, we see where AI is being used not for good and Anyone could be a victim to that, that sense of urgency, that sense of the fact that it's a family member and how you wouldn't even know because the voice sounds the same. You want to help your family member. We'll turn that to the topic of pornography. I remember when I was in high school, you you heard stories about people such as Paris Hilton and others making these scandalous sex tapes. I remember even 
in our community, some of the girls started you know, taking photos of themselves and they were being sent around. I remember even one photo of one of the girls in our community, the photo made it way, its way to the fire station and it was being passed around among the men of a minor, a teenager, and it got shown to her own father. And oh. I share that situation because this was where it was actually the person created of themselves and it was being distributed by people in the community to one another in a small town. Now, what we're talking about is you don't even know if that was actually the person you know. You don't know if they actually created it or someone. I mean, I could see kids getting in trouble, kids being exploited, and it's it's so frightening that you can't even trust what you see today when it comes to AI. No, and AI is, uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that is just rapidly getting better, the ability of it, the reality when when ai first came out they they tried doing that in the porn industry and this was five years ago ish it didn't do very well because the faces were very pixelated mm-hmm. today you cannot tell it looks that real the voice sounds that real so now we're going to have people uh, as you said, it used to be unfortunate and sad, uh, but people kind of did this to themselves. Now, these criminal organizations, in my opinion, are are going to be doing it to potentially anybody. Anybody, yeah, and that's the key. Here's a question that is, I think, something to consider. In the past, you might see couples... And again, this I know this is scandalous to some people, but like some people would make take photos of themselves or make their own sex tapes. Now take it to AI where you don't even have to act and record yourself in these situations, but you can just use the person. And in this case, it is consenting because we've been discussing non-consensual AI deepfakes. Here we're using deepfakes, but it is consensual. Someone could use, agree to use their image. Speak to the morality of that, because I know we know that morally it's wrong, but psychologically, medically, why is it wrong for our bodies and our minds, even if it is consensual? Well, here's the, 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 the most simple answer I can give you. What sex is really supposed to be about is self-giving. Anytime pornography is involved... It is not about giving at all. It's about taking. And so when we start to look at our spouse in that way, even if it's consensual, it's not according to God's design. It's not the fullness. It's not everything it could be. Um, you know, lust takes. Love gives. And so we often confuse with sexuality, oh, making love well making love is needs to be that it doesn't need to be lust filled mm-hmm. and, that's and why so w- what what we've what we've done with the increasing pornography acceptance in society is we're taking that love out of it timory and we're making it all about lust mm-hmm. and the way our brain works the brain's always looking for something novel, particularly when it comes to lust. It wants to be filled with something new. Let Show me something new, something more exciting, something harder, something rougher, something wilder. That's how the brain works. 
And that's why it's addictive. It's creating your own your own drug in your own brain. And that's why it's psychologically damaging. And medically, I mean, we could talk about erectile dysfunction. We could talk about the damaged women's bodies. There is so much there. But bringing this back to the church's teaching, the, you said it, and I think it just nails it on the head. Porn is about taking sex is about self-giving there's this love versus lust that is at the heart of this whole conversation and if you look at what the church teaches it says that every every intimate act that is entered into is supposed to be one unitive and two procreative so for the good of the spouses in a unitive way and two procreative that's why we don't use barriers contraception any of those things that these acts are meant to be totally unitive giving and giving in all the ways that god allows it with the ways the bodies give without getting into all the details and procreate that it's open to that potency of new life pornography takes away the physical unitiveness and takes away the procreative unit procreative dimension as well and with that we see that lack of self-donation that lack of self-giving and therefore that lack of of love because it's completely exploiting the other person to an object for pleasure and that's what we're seeing in our modern day culture and this is why i want to come back in just a few minutes here we see this crisis in a culture of singleness a single epidemic and many people are struggling with actually being interested in dating and marriage and commitment a lot of women are seeing a lack of commitment from men and men are actually lacking interest even in dating and it actually does come back to to the problem of pornography so how do you fix the commitment problem that's been caused by pornography we'll discuss that with jim o'day the executive director of integrity restored in just a few minutes here on trending stay with me if you'd like to check out him and his work a great resource for overcoming pornography use check out integrityrestored.org that's integrityrestored.org So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Jim O'Day, the Executive Director of Integrity Restored, is with me now. Jim, I see this huge struggle today of a few things when it comes to dating. Men who aren't interested at all in dating today, they're stepping out of the dating game, which is insane to me. I mean, what healthy male in his 20s doesn't want to date? And there are a lot of explanations behind it, but a lack of interest in dating and then a huge lack of interest in both commitment to relationships, also defining what the relationship is, and marriage. Do you think that men who look at porn have a hard time being interested in dating, marriage, and commitment? Well, I think there's a really scientific uh, explanation for it. I think people are going to be shocked. It's all about science. It has nothing to do with morality. The way that pornography and sexual imagery impacts our brains, essentially what happens is it short circuits all the other systems. It undermines relationships. It undermines secure attachments. It undermines intimacy. So because of what's happening neurobiologically in your brain, you are not going to look for those type of relationships. They're going to seem 
problematic to you? Problematic and or boring or just problematic, like getting in the way of the pleasure that get, you're experiencing? It will get in the way. It'll be more difficult. Uh, so why bother? You see, what happens with pornography use, increasing pornography use in particular, is we tend to want to isolate more because the only way to get that brain chemical fix is generally to be alone. Uh, unless you're watching porn with your partner. But uh, even then, increasing pornography use generally leads to a lower sexual satisfaction with your partner. So um, we tend to isolate. So and the, more, is, we the more we isolate, the harder it is to have a relationship. It just feels too hard. I have a huge ringing bell in the back of my head right now as you're saying this. So you're saying that when you look at pornography, it short circuits all other systems, undermining, you mentioned attachments, relationships, intimacy. And because of that, it makes relationships problematic. Drawing that out even further, it's not just dating and marriage and commitment. It's all relationships. Oh, it's it all. Makes, That's my point. It, yes. It makes work difficult. It makes, and this is why literally some people, I mean, it's as bad as impacting work work performance, people lose jobs, and these might seem like extremes, but maybe you don't realize how bad it's impacting you. But here's the big like bell that's ringing in the back of my mind right now. I am hearing over and over again from women, adult women with children in the thick of marriage and family life, who over and over again are sharing that their husbands out of nowhere have been diagnosed with autism and are on some form of the spectrum. And what they're struggling with includes some of these things. Attachments are off, relationships are off, intimacy is off. Do you think perhaps, I know you're in the thick of the science, that this could be a misdiagnosis for adult autism and it could be actually the use of pornography that's, sh as you're saying, short-circuiting the brain, impacting these interpersonal relationships and functions? Well, obviously without, and I'm not a therapist, Right. But with, without speaking to the individual, that's a hard guess. Now, could we say that theoretically that could be the case? Absolutely. Pornography is going to pull you away from every relationship that matters. Mm. It's going to pull you away from every relationship that matters. And the things that used to make you happy are not going to make you happy anymore. Mm. And those things can be as simple as holding your wife's hand, cooking dinner together, playing catch with your son on the front lawn. Those things are going to get in the way of that fix you need. We're talking about a brain that is just every bit as addicted as if that person was on heroin. And when we think about a heroin addict, we know they will go to any length to get their fix. Well, the same thing for the porn addict. And the way that shows up is in fractured relationships, increased isolation, and the interesting thing, increased loneliness. Hmm. Pornography use causes loneliness. And loneliness is one of the key triggers of more pornography use. Right. So it becomes a vicious cycle. Bottom line is you got to stop looking at pornography. We've 
discussed a lot in the past on how to do that. I want to link to some of those episodes, but if you could just briefly walk through that scientific along with the faith-based approach to quitting pornography. Well, and here at Integrity Restored, we always talk about our three pillars, Timory. Uh, the first is the strong science counseling and therapy. The second is an increase in the spiritual life, frequent reception of the sacraments and spiritual direction. And then the third is relationships and accountability because we can't do it alone. So if you're listening to us right now on the radio and you said, you know what? I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. That's step one. You have to admit that. You have to say, I want to be done with this. And then you reach out and you talk to your priest. That's where I would start. Go to confession. Speak to your priest. Tell them how long you've been struggling with this. And tell them that you need help. Go on Integrity Restore's website. We have a therapist. Uh, what to look for. A, a really cool blog article. How to find a therapist to help you through this. Get the help you need. And then do whatever it takes to stay clean. For many of us in the beginning of recovery, it's going to mean something really, really wild. We're going to have to get rid of our smartphone. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to go to a flip phone. You could still get text. You could still get calls. You don't need to be on the phone when you are trying to recover from this. And I'm running into men who are doing this. I, I'm hearing men. More and more. Actually, Thanks be to I, God. Just a few weeks ago, met a guy, listens to Trending, heard you here on the show, and he said, yeah, look, this is my flip phone. I started using it a year ago because I had a pornography struggle, heard Jim O'Day on the show, got rid of the computer, got rid of the phone, only used my computer at work for work, had all of the filtration softwares on, and he said, marriage is better than ever. I've been clean. I can't remember exactly how long he's been clean from looking at pornography, uh, but he said, it's amazing what having the humility and kind of the detachment of just going to a flip phone did that that is the one of the leading killers right now for people when they're trying to get rid of a pornography addiction. And I just threw it out there. Maybe I'm blunt, but I'm just saying, what are you willing to do? Like, can you get rid of your phone? I had a friend recently who came to me mentioning his pornography addiction. And one of my responses was, you have filtration software. And he said, oh, well, no. And I said, then you really don't want to get rid of your pornography addiction. Yep. You really don't because you admittedly know what causes you to slip up. Well, what would help prevent you from slipping up and what would block that would be a filtration software. And have you, are you familiar with one of the later uh, filtration softwares? I know we've talked a lot about and we love Covenant Eyes. Uh, Covenant Eyes is awesome, but I know Canopy.us is using some of the latest technology with AI and uh, they have was, ability. Yeah, talk I was a little just bit about gonna, it. I was just going to say that. It's so interesting. The, the earlier segment, we're talking about all the problematic things with AI. Well, Canopy.us, uh, they're an Israeli-based uh, company, but they're doing great things using AI to actually just completely block any kind of sexual, nudity, pornographic images uh, on your technology, That be that your smartphone or your tablet. Um, really, really cool company. Uh, they, they haven't got the exposure here in the U.S. yet that Covenant Eyes has, uh, but they're working on it. 
And I think it's an, another way to show that AI, AI doesn't have to be all bad, right? Yes. This company is using it for good. Yes, I love it. So that's canopy.us. It's canopy.us. And again, people might say, okay, there's a price ticket with that. Yes, but is that worth it? It will help save your children from looking at pornography leading to addiction. It will help your own self in this. And so canopy.us is an awesome resource. So let's tease this out a little bit more because the, the, the whole premise is, is that your brain is short-circuited, as you said, and that your brain, when looking at pornography, undermines those systems of attachment, relationships, intimacy. And this is leading to why a lot of men are exiting the dating scene, aren't interested in marriage, and are not interested in commitment. What do you do to fix this habit of isolation and detachment and lack of interest in dating and marriage and commitment caused by pornography in addition to those things that you mentioned of like okay i've cut out the pornography but still this this mechanism of functioning as so detached and disinterested is now a habit even after maybe that pornography addiction is gone <laughs> great question and and the the best news the most amazing news the miraculous news is the way God made our brain. Our brain is neuroplastic. We can rewire it. So if you know that you're coming out of a porn addiction and you, you've been sober 30 days or 60 days or not, <coughs> excuse me, 90 days, and, and you still don't have those desires, understand that's normal. Your brain needs to rewire. What are some of the ways we could do that? Simple little things. Set up four coffee dates a week. Join a club. Go to your gym, your local town gym, and take a class. Get out there. Start building those synapses again. Start rewiring that brain and you will be amazed at how quickly those things start to bring you joy and that joy gives you that little dopamine hit that your brain needs to say i want more of this and it builds upon itself and the pleasure that comes from those touch points of contact i love it four coffee dates a week you know join a club these things where you're engaging in person with people and i think screens have become such a crutch for people it's not just someone who's struggling with pornography but who's struggling with human connection these are physical face-to-face -face engagements that we need i know something that you often discuss as well is dopamine reset i'm going to post a link to an episode you and i did earlier last year on resetting your brain with dopamine you're working on screens working on face-to-face -face engagement uh, how food and eating even uh, exercise impacts this, but I was really interested because not too long ago I was sitting down with a friend who's a medical physician and we were discussing intermittent fasting. And she said intermittent fasting is actually the best dopamine reset you can do today. Did you know that? Absolutely. I just actually, it's funny, I'm working on doing a podcast on just that, Timory, because it is so powerful. I had no idea how effective it was. But there's more and more studies out there that are showing, even for people who are struggling with maybe maybe I'm autistic, like we talked about before, or uh, maybe I'm I have anxiety disorder, or maybe I'm depressed. depressed yeah. Intermittent fasting 
and diet can really change the way our brain chemicals process mm -hmm. and can make us feel much better. It's incredible. It is incredible. So, you know, the church, God's plan for the human person has always been so scientific. God made the person. God is what is at the conclusion of science because he created all of this. And you look at the tradition of the church. It used to be that both Wednesdays and Fridays during the week, we fasted. We both abstain, but we'll also engage in fasting. And so engaging in that fasting is so important. So a push to get out there of starting to work on engaging in intermittent fasting, offering it for a petition, engaging in it to help reset your brain. It is such, I think, an important thing. And also even looking at how, you know, I have kids and kids munch all the time. They need to get enough food, but it's okay for the kitchen to be closed and for kids to have from, you know, a little while before bedtime until a little while after waking up that good season of what is an actual fast. Not that I'm forcing my kids to fast, but that we're not just leaving the door open for children to eat and eat and eat and for ourselves and how that's impacted our dopamine levels so significantly today. Well, and I think especially, I think that's a great point. And especially for parents, um, you know, as we age, we don't need to eat the way little kids eat. <laughs> But when we have little kids around, I even know when my grandsons come over, right? Yes. I'm snacking way more than I ever snack, right? Because they want something. Well, I'll have one too. I'll have two. I'll have half a bag of cookies, whatever. <laughs> the interesting thing is we've forgotten the, the genealogy of breakfast. The genealogy of breakfast is break fast. Yes. People did not eat after dinner. Mm -hmm. It just wasn't done. And it was usually done when it was light out still. The Correct. best time to eat is when it's still light out before sunset and that, so that your body can still move after as well. Well, I don't know if it's getting older or what, but if I eat late now, I get heartburn. Mm -hmm. So I just have to eat earlier and it's okay. It's fine. Yeah. And I'm not starving when I wake up either, <laughs> by the way. I'm okay. It also depends on what you eat that leads to the starvation. But all of this is so interesting. You know, here we are going from AI to pornography to lack of commitment. It's all interconnected. And it's so fascinating and I think intriguing to see that there are solutions out there. Faith-based and scientific that go hand in hand. Jim, I love the work you're doing at Integrity Restored. If you want to learn more about working through pornography addiction, reorienting yourself sexually in a culture of disorientation, head over to integritystored.org. That's integritystored.org. Check out Jim O'Day's work. The March for Life in Washington is this Friday. And again, this year, Relevant Radio is inviting you to fast for life in solidarity with the marchers. Take an active part in the march from your home or office by praying and fasting for the protection of the unborn. Alfredo from Los Angeles, California said he's fasting by being extra cheerful during the day and smiling at everyone he meets. Tell us how you'll participate on Friday at relevantradio.com slash fast. That's relevantradio.com slash fast. And be sure to share hashtag fast for life on social media. I was actually laughing. I saw someone shared. Uh, she said she was going to quit cursing uh, when she was mad and that, that was part of her fast on Friday. There were some great ones. There's a lot that we can work on when it comes to behavior and fasting, but please 
We are coming up on what was the anniversary of Roe versus Wade and the, le- the legalization of abortion. Although Roe v. Wade is overturned, we still need to be involved in changing the culture to make abortion unthinkable. I'll be right back here on Trending in just a moment to discuss one skill to make it yourself marriage material. What's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. One skill for you to work on to make yourself marriage material. Stay with me. I'll share it in just a moment. It might be a little controversial on both sides, actually. So I won for men and one for women. Stay with me. But a question came in from Katie in Minneapolis. She said, I'm just curious if you have any NFP apps, natural family planning apps, that you could recommend for tracking. I've taken classes in the Creighton and Marquette methods, and I'm curious if you know of any apps for tracking instead of just using paper charts. Uh, Yeah, for apps, some that I know that are out there is I know Creighton and NAPRO actually has its own app that's out there now. I think it's been improved. I've never used it, but I know that that's out there that follows the actual Creighton method. And I also know that FEM is an app that a lot of people love. It's been out for quite a while. It's very, very similar to the Creighton model. FEM actually basically took the Creighton model and other elements and is marketing it in a more secular and feminine way, uh, especially for younger women. So that's a great option as well, Fem. There's so many fertility tracking apps. You kind of just have to find the one that works for you. But I do know Creighton and Fem have ones if you're interested in that. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Okay, here's the deal. One skill to make yourself marriage material. I've been thinking a lot about this recently. Uh, Many of my peers who are in that season of dating, and I see a lot of men and women who they want to get married, they want to date, but aren't necessarily in a position to be what we call marriage material. And I hate to like objectify or speak in that way, but it's true. And I think that's often more so the case on the part of men where they just maybe are in a lot of financial debt. They don't know how to manage money. Um, they're, they're not marri- marriageable as the term goes. And, you know, things like having a house, being out of debt, being able to stay on budget, that's important, really important. And on the flip side, I know people, I'm going to get a lot of backlap for this, but I think it's an important topic. How important learning to cook is for women. So here are the things. One skill to make yourself marriage material. For women, learn how to cook well. And for men, learn how to money manage money well. Now, a man could say, you know, I don't really like doing the budget. I don't want to do it, so I'm not just going to. Okay, sure, but you're responsible to do so. Same could be said for women. I don't really like to cook. I don't want to cook. Okay, sure, you can say that, but, you know, it's a responsibility. It's important both for your caring for yourself and others. You got to do it anyways. And I know people are going to be offended and say this is sexist or objectifying that you expect women to, quote, be in the kitchen. That's not what I'm saying. And that's okay if you think it's too stereotypical. What we're discussing 
when I talk about one skill to make yourself marriage material. And if you really object that hard to these two things, it means that there's some work to be done because making yourself marriage material requires that you're engaging in acts of love. And there are a lot of acts of love that we engage in every day. But at the end of the day, they're choices. They're skills that we have to enter into, things we need to practice to be caring, loving, and responsible in relationships. And if you're going to entrust yourself to someone or have someone entrust themselves to you, because if as a wife, you have a man who entrusts himself to you, to your care, and as a wife, you entrust yourself to your husband for his care. And this is why being marriage material is so important. And being able to nourish and provide are two very important things. And I would say nourishment and provisions both fall under the topic of finances and feasting and eating. Now, it doesn't mean that the opposite sex can't have skills or interests in money or cooking. Quite the contrary. And there's so much that can be said. But what's really been kind of in the back of my mind on this topic is I'm around many young women in their early 20s right now who have zero cooking skills whatsoever. And what's intriguing to me is that it's a little bit of a wound to them. One's in a season of life where she would love to be dating someone and is actually really mourning the fact that she's not married yet. Another is in a season of life working toward marriage, is with the guy she thinks she'll marry. They don't have a proposal or a date yet, but she knows she doesn't really know how to cook yet. And that's quote, probably something she should work on. In fact, I tease her just a little bit about it. Now, why why is this something that I think is a good conversation to have? Because having the skill to cook as a woman is important to help nourish. Does that mean you're the world's best cook? No. But what's intriguing to me is that cooking for women is such a sensitive topic. And as I've been diving into some of like the stories and conversations of people, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. And my mind was really open to it more recently when I was talking to my grandmother, who's in a season of life where she loves to just, when she calls, she wants to share recipes. She loves to cook. She knows I cook. And so she's always calling to give me some random recipe, whether it's about a baked apple, a bone soup, you name it. But what was intriguing to me is I always just assumed, you know, my grandma knows how to cook. She must have learned it from her mom. And this has been a skill passed on. But I recently asked her why she loves to cook so much. And she said, actually, I'm self-taught in how to cook. My mom was a terrible cook and only cooked one meal a year. She cooked Thanksgiving meal and it was awful. It was the only time she ever cooked for us. And she said everything was awful. She burnt everything. It was terrible. But that was the only meal she ever cooked. And she was really hurt by that lack of care growing up when it came to nourishment. I said, what did you eat every day for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner? She said, I don't know what we ate during the rest of the day, but every day my dad would come home from work and there would be no meal made. And so he would either take us out to eat, he'd bring something home on the way or just figure it out to make sure that us kids were fed. And so for her, when she got married, she said, I wanted to not only be able to cook, but to provide a meal for my husband when he came home from work at the end of the day. And she worked off and on at times as well, but it was important to her. It was a gift she wanted to give to her spouse. It was something she wanted to give to nourish, to love. It was an action. And I think often today there's a lot of 
I'm not going to cook. I'm not going to be in the kitchen. Um, kind of this rejection of, I guess you could say, homely things. But there's also this embracing and culture of turning back to the art of cuisine, the joy of giving, the artistic side of it, the nourishing, the hospitality dimension of food. Food is so important. It's a whole language in and of itself. And I think of other stories. My mom, whose parents weren't around, and today she's an amazing cook. She didn't have people teaching her how to cook or having food all the time in the home. Amazing cook. I think of a friend of mine who, she doesn't cook. She didn't have parents in the home growing up either, and parents weren't around. And when she got married, her husband loved to cook, and he spoils her. He cooks all the time. So I'm sorry, although I'm saying that cooking's a great skill to have, they're different relationships and dynamics. For example, I have a cousin who I remember growing up was an incredible baker and a great cook. Now she's married, has kids, and she never cooks. And I remember asking her a year or two ago, what happened? You're an amazing cook. And she shared that nothing was ever the right temperature. Nothing was ever the right well done, underdone, you name it. Everything was always a critique from her husband. And then her kids took up those same critiques and to the point where she just stopped cooking altogether because nothing was good enough and no one would actually eat her food. Now, that's a terrible situation where the husband was being overcritical and the kids took up that same criticism. But then I think of a friend of mine who I mentioned earlier who wants to be married and knows that the skill of cooking is something she, she needs in her repertoire. All of this being said, there's a lot of sensitivity today around food and the gift and skill or lack of when it comes to cooking. And I think it's something that a wound of our culture for many and various reasons that needs to be healed and needs to be addressed. And also to see it as cooking is a skill for a woman to have to make herself marriage material. And that we need to pass on the art of cooking or we need to pick up the cookbooks and do it. Learn. Cooking is trial and error. Cooking can be fun. Cooking can be very frustrating. Uh, cooking can be a matter of preference. But I think that cooking is fuel for a healthy relationship of those little acts of love and sacrifice that are so important. And so just throwing some basic ideas out there for cooking, if you're getting started, is Getting used to cooking a meat, a vegetable, and maybe a potato or a rice. You know, something like a crock-potted chicken. Working on knowing how to sear a steak on a pan. Love, I love searing a steak on a cast iron and then finishing it off in the oven to preference in terms of how well done it is. Uh, also, something as simple as having a simple go-to salad. But having that mixture of five-day meals that you start to get used to cooking. L knowing how to roast vegetables in the oven. I think one of the biggest tips in cooking is you need to have a timer to help make sure you don't burn things. And then number two, my mom's golden trick that I think has always been the key is putting onions and garlic in everything. I love onions and garlic. I think they're the best. And I think it's what makes a lot of food very flavorful. For some people, that's not their thing. That's fine, I guess. Uh, but goldening your your garlic. You're getting a garlic press, pressing the garlic, putting three cloves of garlic in most any dish, I think is key. And my mom would always, I can't have dairy, so I can't have butter. So I do it in olive oil, but she'd just get the butter, she'd melt it, she'd throw the garlic in there, saute it till it was almost golden, quickly take it off before it burns and becomes putrid and taste and smell. And that's one of those bases that flavors all of these different meals. 
I think these are great keys that we need to start to embrace and skills to pass on. So that's the one skill to make yourself marriage material for ladies. And I can't wait to get all the comments people are going to be so mad over, but that's okay. That's fun. So for the man's side, the one skill that I think learn men need to have to be marriage material is to learn to be able to manage money well. And I, I see this again as a pain, a painful uh, experience for my generation. I actually have a friend who some years ago was struggling with how he was navigating his finances, was out of college, navigating student loan debt, was looking at the reality of saying, I'm never going to own a house. My student loan debt per month is the cost of what would be a house payment. And there's so much that could be shared of his particular circumstances. But I remember him saying, you know what I asked my parents was I asked my parents, why didn't you teach me how to manage money? Because he said, my parents are great at managing money. And they've always been great at it as they've had children, as they've been in different seasons of life. He said, why didn't you teach me how to manage money? And they said, well, we just, we gave you an education. We paid for your education. We paid for you to go to school. And that was kind of like the response. And what I realized with that response was there's been a lot of forfeiting of parenthood that is done and that we forget to pass on important skills, whether it's budgeting or cooking. So many that we could discuss. But here's the deal. A lot of men are struggling. They're not marriage material. They're not interested in marriage. They're not ready to date because of this. I actually have a friend who is in a season of life. He's approaching 40 and he's getting things together, has a great job finally. And I said, okay, are you ready to be introduced to people? It sounds like you're in a better place now. And he says, not yet. I still need to work on the financial side of it. I'm not marriage material right now. I actually had a lot of respect for him to recognize he wasn't marriage material. So he wasn't going to put his heart out there, but he also wasn't going to risk breaking women's hearts that he's not in a place where he could even be marriageable right now. So what needs to happen? Gentlemen, and these are great things for women to know too, and vice versa for cooking. One, you need to be able to make and stick to a budget. That's really key. Know how to make a budget. If you need help learning how to make one, do so. That's fine. And then learn how to stick to it. Second, be able to make and execute a plan to pay off debt. If you have debt, make an execute plan. If you don't have debt, you probably will one day, whether it's a house payment, a car payment, you name it. Or sometimes people just get themselves into situations where maybe there was a season and some point, someone took on some credit card debt they shouldn't have. Do you know how to make an execute a plan to get out of that debt? The third thing is to find your weak points when it comes to money. There can be extremes, impulse buying, expensive taste. Or maybe you're too stingy. That's another one on the other side. But know your weak points with money, family of origin, all those things that can impact how you look at money. The final thing to be able to manage your money well is to be able to save. To be able to save money, especially as a single person, in a way so that money isn't the problem getting in the way of you being able to take someone on a date, being able to propose and give a ring, being able to provide a place to live, buy a home, save for having children. I think these skills are necessary to get in that way of being marriage material. So 
I'll be interested to hear from you. Maybe you have a skill that you think is key for being marriage material. I would love to hear from you. Go ahead and email me. Up next is Family Rosary Across America. Catch our podcast on the Relevant Radio app. It's new, improved. I hope you go and download it now. This is Timory from Trending with Timory. What's the biggest problem getting in the way of praying for you? We're going to dive into real solutions to help you incorporate more prayer into your day-to-day and simple ways to do that. Also joining me tomorrow is Michael Gasparro, licensed marriage and family therapist, diving into the latest research on the LGBTQ ideology and the truth of the human person connected with strong faith-based truths and science. Please join me daily, 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio.